Hey everyone, this is Kindle from Recording Lounge, and in honor of 10 years of the Recording Lounge podcast, we're doing some more top 10 countdowns. Today we are talking about my top 10 favorite guitar and bass tools. Now, these things are tools that make my life easier and more efficient and more fun when recording guitars and bass. If you've been a fan of the show for a while, you probably know that I'm a guitar player and that I record a lot of guitar-heavy music, Um, rock stuff, indie stuff, country, you name it. Um, I do a lot of pop stuff, too, and indie rock that has uh, keyboards and synths and stuff, but uh, me being a guitar player, I felt much more qualified to talk about all the cool things I have in guitar world, Um, but maybe I'll do a show about uh, synth stuff and MIDI and virtual instruments. That might be cool, too. I'll put a pin in that. Let me write that down. Um, But today, we're talking about my top 10 favorite guitar and bass tools uh, that help my job go smoothly. So let's get started. For number 10, I have the Avalon U5. Now, there are a lot of great DIs out there. I would probably even go ahead and throw out an honorable mention to the Countryman Type 10 and the Radial J48, both DIs that I really love. But to me, the Avalon DI is special, and I've done shootouts with DIs, um, all kinds, and the Avalon may not have won every single shootout, but in general, it was one of my favorites on any instrument, a keyboard, a synth, an acoustic guitar, an electric guitar, you name it, the Avalon U5 was always number one, number two, or number three in every single test I've done. Um, Not only that, but the Avalon U5 is special because unlike most active DIs, you don't need a preamp to go after it, okay? So a lot of people get put off by the price when they see the Avalon U5 and they're like, you know, 600 bucks for a DI, you must be crazy. But see, the Avalon U5 operates and can operate at line level, meaning you don't have to go into the DI into a mic preamp. You go straight into the Avalon and you can run straight into your interface. It has enough gain to do that. Um, so that's something a lot of people miss when they're looking at a DI like that, okay? Um, so you're actually really getting a great price. You don't have to waste a mic preamp for it. Now, of course, you can run it at mic level as well and run it into another mic preamp if you want to get that sort of color. Um, and so can, you know, any other active DI, the Countryman, Type 10, you know, any of those. But I think the key here is... Um, a really solid active DI to me is an incredibly important tool for guitar and bass. Now, I'm a big fan of active DIs. I think especially when using passive pickups on a bass or a guitar, there's just something about that marriage that works really, really well. Um, and even with active pickups, I like it too. I mean, it sounds great on line level instruments. It sounds great with active basses. Um, the Avalon U5 just kind of never lets me down. You know what I mean? I, I, I never sit there and say, oh, that's a bad DI sound. You know what I mean? I just don't. Um, and to be honest, I think there's a lot of hype that goes in with DIs and people get, you know, really, really hung up on specifics and they're, oh, well, this one's got different impedance and this one's active, this one's passive, this one's got this transformer, this one's transformerless, this one has a Jensen transform. you know. Truth be told, they all sound pretty similar. You know what I mean? I've done shootouts. I own probably 10 DIs myself. Um, And not to mention all the mic preamps I have with DIs on the front. 
Um, and they all sound pretty similar. Like if we're being honest, they all do. Um, some of them will react a little bit more, especially with passive pickups. Um, you know, if we're talking about running a DI on something like a, key a keyboard or, you know, a synth or something like that, you definitely want one with a really good phase response, uh, and really wide bandwidth. Um, and to me, the best way to do that is with a nice high quality, high voltage active DI, um, but of course, that's just my opinion. Some people feel that active DIs have more phase shift. Um, some people feel they have more distortion. You know, everyone's got their own opinion. But to me, I would say my top three would be Avalon U5 and the Countryman Type 10 and the Radial J48. Those three are always winners for me in the DI department. And there are many times when you need to take a DI. You know what I mean? Like if you want to reamp a guitar later, if you're recording bass, um, really almost any time when you're recording guitar, it could come in handy for something. Um, and bass, I mean, come on, DI is a necessity. So don't skimp on a good DI. You don't need a ton of them. You don't need 10 like I've got. That's <laughs> so unnecessary. Um, but, you know, if you wanted to just get one really solid DI for your studio, I would highly recommend the Avalon U5. All right, number nine is my line level pedal board. Now, this is something that not all of you are going to have, and it's not something you, that you can just easily buy off the shelf. But what I have done is created a system of reamping and amplifying um, to put a pedal board that I have in a rack at line level. What that means is I can run a pedal board after the microphone. So I go from you know my guitar out to the amp, I put mics on it, I go to the preamp, and then on my patch bay, I can patch from the microphone into the pedal board, and all the levels level matching is done, all the impedance matching is done, there's no issues with that. The short version of how I have this wired is basically on my patch bay, I have a pair of jacks, you know, an in and out for my pedal board, and from the input jack, it goes into a reamp box. Now, I've tried a bunch of different ones, and for this particular application, the one that seemed to work the best and have the lowest amount of noise and issues was the JCR from Radio, which is uh, the John Cunaverti reamp that, you know, we interviewed John back on the day, and we had great conversation about this whole thing. Go check that out if you haven't. It's a great story. Um, but in my application, that one worked the best, okay? But you could use any reamp box, you know, from any different brands, you know, lots of things like that. Then what that does is convert a line level signal down to guitar level, okay? Now I can go through my pedals. And on my pedal board, I've got a compressor, I've got a distortion pedal, I've got a couple of delays, I've got a reverb, um, you know, just a couple of things like that. And then from there, it goes into a DI, in this case, I'm using a passive DI. I think I'm just using a radial passive DI, the green one. And then that goes into a mic preamp. Now, it doesn't need a lot of gain. It really doesn't because we're not talking about boosting up, you know, a ton of level here because we're already pushing at line level. Uh, and then, yes, we do go down, but long story short, it only needs about 15 dB of gain. Um, so it's not a ton of gain needed on the mic preamp. And then that goes back to the patch bay um, up on the output jack. So I can run from a microphone into that pedal board, which is really cool because the sound of, for example, a reverb pedal is different if it's going into an amp or into a speaker cabinet than running after a microphone. 
Because you could pick a really bright microphone and then run that into your pedal board or a really dark microphone. You know, sometimes what I do is I'll record two mics on a guitar cabinet and one of them goes through the pedal board and the other one doesn't. So I'll have like a dry wet sort of thing. Sometimes what I do is I'll sum both microphones and then run them to the pedal board and just add a little bit of delay or reverb. Um, sometimes I'll put a room mic up and run that to the pedal board, maybe with some compression and reverb and slap delay, and it's only on the room mic. Like, the options are really, really limitless. The other thing is that it doesn't have to be for just guitar. I could run a vocal through a guitar pedal. I could run, you know, a bass through a guitar pedal or a snare or a room mic or you name it. Um, it's really just a great studio tool in general. I actually debated putting it on my other list, my top 10 studio tools, um, but because it is, you know, guitar pedals, because it's mostly used for guitar, um, you know, I put it on the guitar list. But it, I was debating putting it on the other show as well um, because it's just that cool. Um, so, yeah. Definitely make sure that you consider trying this. Okay, there's and there are some products out there that help you do this automatically. Like they have the in and the out already there, and you can do all the level matching. I think Radial makes one that allows you to do that. Um, but this is the makeshift way that I made it work, and it's low noise. I have no problems with ground issues or anything, so it works. So I don't touch it. Um, I was inspired to do this from watching some videos of Vance Powell talking about uh, running, I think, some drum rooms into uh, into some guitar pedals. And I was like, man, that's really not that difficult. Why don't I try that? And so I set it up and it works great. And I love it. I use it a lot. It's really fun. It's really inspirational, really cool to add, you know, weird guitar pedal effects on a vocal or on a guitar or whatever. But um, it also just allows you to have that extra bit of flexibility to put it after the mic as opposed to before the amp and before the speaker. All right, number eight is the Tech 21 VT Bass DI. Now, this one's not that sexy, I'll admit. It's not like this mind-blowing tool that is super versatile, but it's a real workhorse tool, okay? Like, I used to have the black and yellow Sans amp like everybody else has had. I've had the Para DI. I've had the Rack version. I've tried all kinds of bass preamps. I've tried fancy ones. I've tried the Aguilar ones. I have some dark glass stuff. I, I've tried b a bunch of them, okay? And so many of them are so good. Um, but I basically just got tired of headaches. I got tired of noisy ones. Like, the Sans amp pedals are so noisy. Like, they... Even the newer ones are still noisy. Uh, and it's made by the same company, right? Like, I'm not, I'm, I'm totally trying to be scientific here and not uh, like biased towards this company because, like, it's made by the same people. And I hate that pedal because it's so noisy and clanky and fizzy. And I just always had trouble with it. But um, when I first got a VT Bass DI, it was kind of on a whim. I heard about it from a friend of mine who was like, yeah, they make this cool pedal called the, the VT something. And it, emulates like the distortion on an SVT and they did but then eventually they turned it into a DI so it has like speaker emulation it has a DI output it's not just like a drive pedal and so I got one it's like 200 bucks and it blew me away and to this day I use it all the time I even had a real vintage SVT in here. We did an AB between this and that, and the client picked this over his own SVT. I actually really liked his SVT. I thought it sounded awesome, but he picked this one. Um, the truth is, it's just a solid, general, great bass tone, okay? 
You've got your classic controls of most of the Tech 21 stuff. You've got level, you've got wet dry blend, meaning wet meaning the effect and dry meaning the straight DI sound. You've got a three band EQ, low, mid, high. You've got a character sweep, which is kind of, it's more than just like a tone knob. It's like a it's almost like a mid-range behavior. Like down towards the left, the character knob is more of like a low-mid kind of um, thick, woolly bass tone, almost more like a B-15. But then as you turn it farther and farther right, it gets really clanky, almost like the classic, uh, you know, black and yellow <laughs> sans amp. Um, but then you've got your, of course, your drive, and you have a couple of options down below. You have some switches, you have the speaker emulation on and off, and it's all analog. There's no digital stuff going on in here. Um, so the speaker emulation on and off is cool because you can use this as just a drive pedal and run it into an amp. Okay, you just turn off the speaker emulation, and it basically removes the cab sound from it, and it works as a drive pedal. It also has a bite switch, which kind of gives it some extra hi-fi top end, which is really nice. It's got a 20 dB pad on the XLR. Um, it's got another, it's like a plus 10 dB for the quarter inch out and a phantom and ground connect uh, button. And, you know, of course you've got your on-off switch. And this thing is so good. Like if you're looking for a really simple, like, I just want to plug in a bass and not have it sound like a boring DI you know, or something just straightforward that's going to give me a nice kind of mic'd up amp bass sound uh, that is more interesting than a straight DI. This is the answer for you. I love this thing and I use it on any genre you can imagine. I use it super, super clean for like clean SVT type tones and I use it super dirty for like punk rock or metal tones. Um, it's really a fantastic product and for a really great price. Um, I just can't say enough good things about this pedal. It's the Tech 21 VT Bass DI. All right, number seven is a custom summing mixer for guitar. Um, so this could actually be used for multiple things, but I specifically built it for guitar. And uh, if any of you follow me on Instagram, which you can go follow me at The Closet Studios, um, I post a bunch of cool gear and stuff like that, and sometimes just goofy stuff. But um, I was building this, and basically what it is, is a two-to-one summing box. And it's all at line level, and it's all passive. Now, I'm working on an output summing amp for it, which would make it active. That's still in the works. I might, I might get to that this summer. Um, but basically what it is, is a simple summing mixer. And you take two line level inputs, so after the mic pre, and each input has a high-pass filter, a low-pass filter, and a level control. And then the output has a high-pass filter and a mute. And I actually, I didn't put a phase switch on uh, each channel, but I, I think I might do that. Um, I didn't because most of my mic preamps already have a phase, you know, a polarity reversal switch on there. Seemed a little bit unnecessary, but it would be kind of handy to do it right there. Basically, what this allows me to do is use two mics on a guitar cabinet and sum them down to one. Now, you might think well, you could just do that in the box, or you might think, why, why is that such a big deal? Well, to me, the name of the game is efficiency. I don't want to spend 
you know, three hours dealing with, uh, you know, all these different channels and all these different things I have to sum. And maybe if I've got to do a bunch of edits, it's more of a pain when you're trying to edit two or three tracks. It's more of a pain when you have, you know, 20 guitars in a session and each one has two mics and a DI. You're talking 60 tracks for that. You know what I mean? It's like, God, that is ridiculous. Um, so with this, I can use two mics on a guitar cabinet and record one channel into the box. The other thing is, I always feel a little weird EQing one mic at a time when I'm doing something like that. Like, I would much rather find a good blend, sum them, and then EQ them as a single unit. I feel like the phase ends up tighter. I feel like everything sounds more cohesive when you do that, um, and it just makes more sense. So with this, I can sum them to one channel, and then maybe I could run into a single compressor or an EQ in outboard and then run back and record it. So it has a lot of uses. And like I said, because I built it specific for guitar, I was able to make the high pass and low pass frequencies guitar specific. And um, they're all passive. The high pass, you know, is like at 70 hertz and the low pass is like 7K on each channel. But then on the output, the high pass filter is at 80 hertz. And so, but it's really mellow, right? It's like three or six dB per octave. It's really mellow. And so they actually kind of interact with each other. So if I use both low-pass filters or all three high-pass filters or just two, like they kind of interact and the curve changes just slightly. Um, so it become, it's becoming a really useful tool for me to where I can get a great guitar sound and record it to one track in my DAW, which really helps me keep a clean session. And, uh, well, obviously if I'm using a DI, that's a separate track, but, um, it really helps me keep a cleaner session and not have to make those decisions later. Cause that's another thing. Some of you might be still laughing and saying, why don't you, it doesn't take that long. Just sum them all later. You know what I mean? Well, I like to commit to things. I really do. And I don't like to second guess myself because what invariably happens is I'll get a tone that everybody in the room is happy with and I'll record it to two channels. And then later on in the mix, I'll be like, well, I don't know. Maybe I'll just use one of these mics or maybe the blend needs to be different or maybe I should. I don't want to mess with that. Right. I want to commit. I want to be dedicated to a tone and say, this is it. And like, know that that pressure is on. So when I do this, when I use this box, it forces me to be like, is this the tone? Because like, this is what we're recording. You know what I mean? If I need to get a DI and reamp it, I could do that. But it helps me feel a little bit better about that sort of thing that I don't have to mess with it later. I can't mess up the balances later. I can't change anything that I shouldn't have changed. And when we like it in the room and we like the blend and they're happy with it and I'm happy with it, it's committed. Um, so it's a really useful box. And uh, one of these days I might try to produce a version of it, you know, that I would sell. But to be honest, I, I don't really want to get into that game of products. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd be better off doing digital products and, you know, online courses and stuff like that. But um, yeah, really, really love this thing. I might try to do a YouTube video about it uh, later just so you guys can see it and, and uh, you know, ask questions and things like that. So, yeah. Number six is the Radial SGI. Now, this is a device that I've talked about for years. I've used for years. I've used it in big arenas, and I've used it in my studio, and it's one of my favorite all-time tools. Not just guitar tools, not just bass tools, but all-time tools ever made for studio. Let me explain what this is and why you need one. So the Radial SGI is essentially 
a preamp line driver that takes your guitar signal from an unbalanced, you know, guitar signal and turns it into a balanced line level signal, possibly even much higher than line level, very hot signal. That signal then has the power and the balanced uh, signal capability to travel 300 to 500 yards of cable or meters. I mean, it's something crazy like that. It's, it's hundreds and hundreds of feet. Um, through an XLR cable, and then at the other end of that cable, you put a receive box, and that box takes that balanced line-level hot signal and converts it back down to instrument level, and then from there you can go into an amp or you know into a pedal board or whatever. So why do you need one of these? Well, I use it in my studio so I can transmit my guitar signal from the control room into the live room where all my amps are. And I can do so without any noise and without any signal degradation. In fact, I think my guitar sounds better running through it than I did with than it does without it. Um, so why why is this happening? Okay. Well, the very basic idea is that unbalanced cabling that we use for guitar, bass, you know, pedal boards, is basically really lossy. So the longer the cable is, the more chance you'll have of high frequency loss. Um, you'll have noise. You'll have a lot more issues with that. You'll have not only handling noise, but you'll also have, you know, like induced RFI noise. Uh, anybody who's ever wired up a pedal board knows that you try to keep the cabling as short as possible. Uh, and even just guitar signals in general, we try to keep them as short as possible because of this reason, because of unbalanced cabling. But when we're dealing with balanced cables, as in like XLR cables, TRS cables, we almost never have to worry about that um, because by the very nature of the design, it cancels out the noise that's radiated into the cable because that third pin is flipped in phase. So the whole point here is whenever you can use uh, balanced cabling, use it. And in the studio, we use balanced cabling for basically everything. I mean, to our speakers, from preamps into the patch bay or into our interface, to and from the interface. I mean, almost everything we use is balanced cabling. And we get spoiled by that because we can get really, really low uh, noise floor stats in a studio. But on a guitar rig, it's like a constant battle of battling the amp noise and the guitar noise. And if you're using single coil pickups, there's noise and there's all kinds of factors there. So if you want to keep as low noise as possible on your guitar, um, obviously you have to handle it first to the guitar. If you need to shield your guitar, especially if you've got single coil pickups or if you want to use humbuckers or um, any sort of noise canceling pickups um, to all my Australian listeners out there, uh, Chris Kinman is a national treasure and you should maybe make him king um, <laughs> because I adore Kinman pickups. He's an Australian pickup maker and he, I mean, it's legendary how good those pickups are. I can't even describe how good they are. My gosh. Um, but they could possibly solve all of your woes. If you're a single coil player and nothing you do seems to get rid of the noise on your Strat or your Telecaster, check out Kinman pickups because they are divine. Anyway, back on topic. Um, <laughs> uh, the point being, once you solve as much as you can at the guitar, then you want to keep short cable lengths of high quality. Um, in my case, I really love Lake Cable. Now, why do I like Lake Cable? It's durable. 
it's cheap, and it's dual-braided shield. So it is a little bit of a pain to make cables, and I make all my own cables. It is a little bit of a pain to solder because the shielding is really thick. But out of all the tests that I've done from Mogami cables and Canary cables and Belden and Gotham and, I mean, you name it, um, not only did I actually prefer the sound of the lake on guitar to all of them, it had the lowest noise specs of all of them. Now, I will say, the second place contender was the Canary cable, and that is a braided shield, and that was a great sounding cable as well. But um, actually, me and a friend of mine who is a keyboard player, we did a shootout of different cables. We made, you know, 20 guitar cables, all the same length, all the same connectors, and we both independently did this test. And And at the end of the test, before talking to each other, you know, we both picked Lake Cable for sound quality, which is funny to me because they're all so close and, you know, it's kind of like you're guessing and you're like, is it better or worse than this other one? But without even talking to each other about it, we both picked Lake Cable um, and he tested it with mostly keyboards. I tested it with mostly guitars. Um, and not only that, but then I did a bunch of tests on noise and Lake Cable had the lowest noise. Now, don't get me wrong. Lake Cable is ugly. It is very ugly. Uh, it's got writing all over it and it's like this weird kind of gray. Uh, but, you know, hey, Sometimes the ugliest thing sounds the best. Anyway, so use short cables. I try to use 10-foot cable if I can from the guitar into my rig. And then from there, it goes into the SGI. And from the SGI, it goes to the other room. Now, that goes probably 30 feet of, of XLR cable from, from in here in the control room into the live room. And then in there, it comes out of the SGI box back out to a short, maybe 10 foot cable. So all in total, we're maybe running through, you know, 20 feet of guitar cable, maybe. Um, and I like to try to keep it as minimal as I can. You know, if I can use a shorter cable anywhere in the chain, I will. Um, but because of the SGI's design, because of what it's designed to do, you don't have to worry so much about the XLR cable in between. It, they say on their website, I don't know what the figure is exactly, but it's something like, it's hundreds and hundreds of feet. It's crazy how much you can get without signal loss. And um, it's really just an amazing box. Not that expensive, but, you know, it's maybe not as cheap as you hoped. I think it's 250 bucks or something like that. Um, but you definitely need one. It's such a useful device. Um, for live, it's really incredibly useful for playing on stage, putting it right on your pedal board, and then running a line to your amp that's in another room, could be way behind stage, could be down the hall, um, and I promise you there's very, very minimal change in tone. I've used them for years, and I, I just love the sound. I love how they sound. They don't screw up my tone. Um, now, sure, if you can plug straight into the amp and use a 10-foot cable right into the amp, go for it. You know what I mean? Like, that's absolutely the shortest possible, like, signal length. Um, but that's not always possible. So in situations like this where you want to be in the control room but put all the amps in an isolated space, this is my favorite solution. And, you know, people are coming up with new solutions like this as years go by, but, man, this one's been a mainstay in my studio for a long time. I actually have two of them. I have one for, you know, live tracking, and I have one that I use for reamping. So that comes out of my DAW into a reamp box, which then goes into an SGI, which goes into the other room specifically for reamping. And I do that because of the way that I have everything grounded. Um, that had just 
a little bit lower noise than running it back through the same rig. So anyway, radial SGI, you need one. Number five, this one is not very sexy and it's not very easy for me to try to convince you of how important this is, but I'm going to try. Number five is a really good speaker cabinet. Now, you know, that's of course good with quotes. It's like, what does that mean? Um, what I mean by this is you need a speaker cabinet that is, I think, versatile, solid, can handle the wattage that you need, and will do most of what you need to do. I own a lot of guitar cabinets, and they all sound totally different. With certain amps, they sound amazing, and with other amps, they'll sound like crap. It really can be that drastic. Now, I'm kind of obsessed with speakers and speaker cabinets, and I'm kind of like, <laughs> I'm trying to recover, basically. I need to go to speaker rehab because I have so many, like, spare speakers up in my attic. I mean, probably 15 different guitar speakers that I've swapped in and out of amps, and I'm constantly changing them out because there's something about the combination and where the mid-range and the upper mids of an amp and the low end of an amp just kind of marry together with the speaker and the cabinet. My point is here, you don't need 10 speaker cabinets, but you also don't need to just shortchange yourself and be like, oh, well, I've got this little 112 that works and it's great for recording. There are some sounds you can't get with certain cabinets. For example, if you're recording... Um, a 112, it's really hard to get like a heavy modern metal sound. You can do it. I'm not saying you can't. I'm just saying it's hard. It sounds so much more right most of the time to run into a 412 cabinet. Like a 5150 amp sounds best into a 412 cabinet. Like that's kind of how it was designed. That's how it was intended. Same thing with a lot of Marshall amps. They sound right through a 412 cabinet. They're designed around a 412 cabinet. Um, like you can get some of those old JCM 800 combos and most people think those sound terrible, but they are identical circuits to the full-sized JCM 800s. The difference is a JCM 800 is too bright and too harsh of an amp to sound right to a 112. It, and especially with the speaker they used. Um, but you plug in a JCM 800 into a 412 and it sounds like straight rock and roll. And it's an amazing sound, right? Like, it, it really is drastic. It really is a big part of the tone. If I had to just pick one cabinet to use, I think the most versatile cabinet is a closed back, large 2x12 cabinet with two different speakers. Now I'll explain why. I think that there are certain sounds a 412 can really do that are amazing. I think there are certain sounds that a 112 can do that are amazing. But that is definitely different ends of the spectrum. I also think that 212s cover the most ground of the most genres. And if it's closed back, you can kind of get a little bit of that 412 thing. And if you use two different kinds of speakers, you can kind of get a little bit more versatility in terms of miking. And maybe one of them is more British style. Maybe one of them is like an Alnico speaker. Maybe you can get more of a Fender kind of thing. Um, so you can really get a lot out of a, out of a closed back 212, especially one that's large because you kind of get a little bit more air moving, a little bit more like a 412. Um, but you don't have to take up all the space of a 412. And I must admit... A 412 cabinet is a little bit harder to mic up than a 212. 212s are really easy to record. They're not too big. They're not too small. 
and they work for almost any guitar sound. I used to be a total die-hard open-back cabinet fan, and over the years I've just become more of a closed-back fan out of all the tests I've done. And I never thought I would be. I really didn't. But I find that for recording, they just seem to have more there. And specifically for rhythms and lower playing, you know, if you're playing open strings and, uh, and more on the first octave of a guitar... You almost have to have a closed back cabinet to really capture that exceptionally well, um, at least in my opinion. I, I think you can get it pretty well with like a Fender Twin, um, but it's not the same type of low end. The, the low end gets mushy, it gets undefined, the notes kind of turn into like a harmonica of themselves, and it's not really that big full fat sound, it's more of a mid-range thing. So if you're like doing Joe Bonamassa stuff where it's like, you know, bluesy lead playing... It's not as much of an issue. You could kind of play whatever you wanted to. But uh, if you're playing rhythm or any rock stuff or anything heavy or anything where you really need a clear, defined low end and like a punchy low end, a closed back cabinet is kind of the way to go. And to me, it just is more versatile. So it's so important that you have a really solid guitar cabinet that's versatile, that you can trust, that can work with different amps and isn't just a one-trick pony. Now, of course, if you can have multiple cabinets, that's great. Um, just don't ignore it. Don't ignore the speaker cabinet as like, oh yeah, you know, that's whatever, you know, it doesn't really, I'll just get a whatever speaker and it'll be fine. I'll get a 112 because it's small and, you know, it'll be, it'll be fine. If you're having trouble getting good guitar tones, don't overlook the speaker cabinet. It is so, so important. Number four is my guitar speaker cabinet patch bay. So I just got on a huge rant about speaker cabinets, so it's only appropriate that this is the next one in the chain. This is a device that I built that is very simple, and all it really is is a patch bay for my amps and my speaker cabinets. Now, there are companies out there that make these that have you know switching systems and all this, and that's great. But I built this as a very simple patch bay. And what it allows me to do is plug in all of my amps to it and all of my cabinets to it and run short little one-foot patch cables between the jacks and run any amp to any cabinet that I want. Um, if you go check out my article about my studio on Reverb.com, uh, they interviewed me a couple like a year or two ago uh, for the Show Us Your Space article. Um, so you can look up the Closet Studios on Reverb.com and you'll find that article. And uh, I talk about it on there. I talk about my patch bay as well. But I talk about uh, how simple and effective it is at doing what it does. And it just allows you to connect any head to any cabinet very quickly without having to reach behind the amps. The amps can live where they live and nobody has to like pull them out and get the cables and check the back and do all this. Now, if you do need to switch the impedance, of course, you'd need to reach in the back Um but you can pretty much leave everything connected and just run, you know, one cable between each jack and you're good to go. Uh, it's a very simple device. It was very cheap to make. I've since updated it um, and and I'm making it, uh, it's, it's all got isolated jacks as opposed to what I have there. That, I had some isolation going on uh, with washers, but it wasn't quite as stable as I'd like it to be. So I ended up build it, building it with isolated jacks, uh, which is much better. Um, but yeah, in general, I think it probably cost me a hundred bucks to make and it's one of the coolest devices I have that saves me a lot of time in auditioning different cabinets. Now somebody can come in and they can say, okay, I want to try that amp with that cabinet. 
and boom, 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 we can plug it in and we're good to go. Uh, it's really, really awesome for that and makes makes the whole process just that little bit more fun, you know, when you're standing there and you can hear it between this cabinet and that cabinet and maybe into a 412 and maybe to a little 210, maybe to a 112, you know, you can really get a good idea of what the cabinet is doing to the amp. And you can you can see how drastic it is by doing that. That's one of the things that has spawned my obsession with uh, speakers and speaker cabinets um, because you realize, you know, wow, those two cabinets sound almost identical. What's the point? You know what I mean? Why do I have those? Or you realize the opposite, like, wow, that cabinet sounds so much better with this amp than that one. And you can A-B it really quickly by just putting the amp on standby, plugging in the cable, turning the amp back on standby. I mean, the whole thing takes two or three seconds, and then you can be hearing it through another cabinet. And I love it. It's so nice. I recommend all of you either look at some sort of cabinet switcher like this or build it yourself because it is really cool. Number three is a Korg rack tuner. Now, this is another one that's not very sexy, not very fun to talk about necessarily, but it's so, so important. Having a really consistent, accurate, predictable tuner is so incredibly important. Me, for example, I hate headstock tuners. I hate them. To me, they're inaccurate. They're finicky. They depend on the guitar. Like some guitars they work fine on and others they don't work on. Depends, I guess, how much vibration is in the headstock. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. I don't like them. It's so much better to just get a plug-in tuner that you can trust, that's accurate, that has a very good display. And I run everybody through it. So if a bass player is recording, they use the rack tuner. If a guitar player is recording, they use the rack tuner. Everybody uses the rack tuner. Um, the other thing is that I have it set up on a headphone mix. So not only does it come from my guitar rig, but it also comes from my interface, meaning essentially I've got dual inputs on it. And what that means is I could actually compare how well they're in tune at their DI versus at the mic. Because um, sometimes it tunes a little bit more accurately to tune it at the mic, because that's actually what's being picked up by the mic. So maybe the amp is interacting a little bit, the distortion is kind of f changing the the apparent in-tuneness of the guitar. You know what I mean? I think any guitar player out there, I think, knows what I'm talking about. Like, when you play a chord, sometimes it'll sound in tune, but then if you have certain amounts of distortion on and you play it, sometimes it's like, man, does it sound a little bit out of tune? And then you'll check it and it's not. And it's just kind of like, well, maybe some weird's going on with the distortion or maybe, you know, whatever. So my point is the rack tuner is so important. And I, I don't know what model this is. I bought it from a bass player for 50 bucks, but it is so good and so accurate and it allows me to consistently, consistently get in-tune guitar and bass recordings. The other thing is, because it's so accurate, I use this tuner when I'm setting up my guitars and setting up for intonation and things like that, which really allows me to get a nice, really tight intonation all over the neck. And when we're recording, it's a bright display, it's easy to see. There's no question about what is in tune, what's out of tune. I don't have to run into a tuner pedal. I don't waste any signal quality with that. And I don't have to do anything fancy with the routing. It's all routed, ready to go. All I have to do if I want them to tune is mute their guitar signal through the MW1, which we're going to talk about in just a second. Um, through the MW1, I just mute it and it goes into the rack tuner through the tuner output and boom, 
It's ready to go and they're tuning. It's instant. It's so, so nice. And they can just look at the tuner. And if you're holding a note even because it's, you know, you, it, you can see it there too because it's going through the whole time. Anyway, my point is get a good tuner. I don't recommend a pedal. I do recommend a rack tuner for tuning bass and guitar as you're tracking. Most of them are very affordable. I, I just, it's so important to be in tune. I, I did a whole show about this. Do you guys remember this? I did a whole show about how to stay in tune. <laughs> it's that important. Like, like you can have a great tone ruined, ruined by being out of tune just slightly. You know what I mean? A recording ruined by being out of tune. Because even if you can go into Melodyne and tune up a note or whatever, it's not the same. Because the way that it interacts with the amp, the way that the harmonics are on top of each other, it doesn't work quite right. It, it sounds, you know, it's not the same. Always, always, always make sure that you are in tune. I used to have a teacher that used to tell me, tune or die. <laughs> because it's that important. Like, like I said, bad tuning on drums, guitars, bad vocal pitch, bad pitch on bass or any of that, like it can really be distracting and ruin a recording. So at least with guitar and bass, get a rack tuner and learn how to use it. Be Start being pickier about your tuning because the first thing that so many people do when they come in here and they use it, they're like, wow, this is really sensitive. It's like, no, the tuners that you're used to using just suck. <laughs> this is accurate. You should be used to tuning this accurately. And then, you know, when it's all said and done, as long as they're not squeezing too hard, their guitar sounds great, it stays in tune, and there we go. Okay, number two. This is a fairly new device to me, but it is a game changer, and it's a device that I can't believe I didn't get before, and I can't believe that more people aren't talking about it. I can't believe, and maybe they are, I'm just out of the loop, but it is the Fryette Power Station 2. Let me tell you a little bit about this device. First and foremost, what it is, is a reactive load. A reactive load is basically like an amp attenuator, but it does it in a little bit of a different way. And it essentially reacts to the impedance changes of the amp and more accurately imitates a speaker than just a simple passive load box like the Weber or the THD, the hot play, the power break, any of those. It's, it's much more accurate than that. Now, of course, you have like the Sur reactive load and that. But what this thing really is, is like an entire amplifier bridge that also has a reactive amplifier in it. So let me break down what this thing can do. First, you can run any guitar amp from any impedance, 4, 8, or 16, into this device, and you can run out to any guitar cabinet, 4, 8, or 16 ohm. Not only can you attenuate your signal, you can boost it. So if you've got a little 10-watt amp, you could boost it up to 100 watts and drive a 412 with a little Princeton or a Champ or something like that. So not only can you attenuate, you can also boost that is huge because you can take little tiny amps and run them into 412 cabinets slammed and get tones you've never thought possible. Tones that you've never really been able to hear because you always run it into a tiny cabinet or it's a little combo or, you know, like a Vox AC-15. 
you can kind of only hear that like saturated Vox thing, that 15 watts, but you could run that into this and crank it all the way up and slam it into a 412 and get a, a tone that you've never really heard before. Okay, some other features. It has a DI output. So you could record uh, essentially the output of your amp that's padded down into your computer and maybe you want to use IRs or you know any sort of cabinet sim thing. Okay, that's another option. It also has an effects loop. So you can run an effects loop to any amp that does not have an effects loop. And most of my amps don't have effects loops, actually. Um, I generally don't like effects loops because they add noise, they add problems, and I don't use them, really. So I, I generally don't need them on amps that I have. But if I happen to need one, I now can use it on any amp, whether it has it or not. Um, it's got an effects loop right on it. Um, it also have, has depth and presence controls that allow you to kind of fine-tune the resonance and the uh, brightness of the cabinet that you're connected to based on kind of how much you're boosting or cutting the output level. You know, because it does kind of depend on like, well, are you boosting it up? Is it now too bright, too dark? And they're very natural. I was a little skeptical of that at first. When I first saw that, I was like... Man, I don't want another set of tone controls. Like, I don't want my stuff going through another set of tone controls. But I promise you, it sounds great. Um, the device is not that expensive when you consider all that it can do. It's about 700 bucks, and it's about the size of a 2U piece of gear. Not even that big, really. Um, it's You can sit it on top of an amp. It's got a fan in it, so, you know, if you're recording something super quiet, you will hear the fan. But it's got to stay cool. I mean, it's it's got tubes in it. It's not just a weird kind of little tiny goofy gimmicky device. This is a real deal professional tool. Um, I The first time I plugged this thing in, I ran into my Marshall, which is 100 watts, and I dimed it. Literally did the Eddie Van Halen thing and put all of my controls at max. Um, and ran it into this thing, into a 412 cabinet, and turned the level way down. And it, I, I was like giddy. Like, I felt 13 years old again. You know what I mean? I was like, oh my gosh, it sounds so good and it's quiet. How do they do that? You know what I mean? I, I just, this big smile came over my face. Like, I've never liked attenuators because they sound like crap. They do. Like, they make your tone sound like crap when you turn it down. It's like, why... The master volume on my amp sounds better than this. Why would I use this? <laughs> um, it, and But you can't get that tone if the master volume is down. Like, you lose that thickness of the power amp section. You know what I mean? And I have just been in love with this thing ever since I bought it. It's so, so good, guys. It's so good. Like, how the quality of build, the quality of sound, the amount of features that it has... I mean, it's really, really stellar. Oh, this is another cool feature for people who want to use it live. Um, you can actually bypass the attenuation completely, meaning if you bypass it, it goes up to being loud again, right? That can be put on a foot switch, which is really cool because you can set your amp for leads and then attenuate it for rhythms. And it's actual volume. It's not gain. It's just straight volume to the cabinet. Um, so what this thing has allowed me to do is not only record amps quieter, um, and, and I'm telling you, I'm, because I have an isolated room, right? Like I'm not in an apartment or anything. I have a, a an isolated purpose-built building. My amps are in another room. I have no problem cranking up hundred, hundred watt amps, 
But the sound of a guitar cabinet being pummeled with level is very different than the sound of a guitar cabinet pushed with really quiet level that has tons of headroom. That's a totally different sound. Not only that, but some amps that have high wattage that I use, I now have no fear to use them with any cabinet that I own because I could run a 100-watt Marshall into a 112 with a 25-watt speaker and turn it down. Like, I can now suddenly use every amp with every cabinet that I own in any configuration. That opened up a huge, huge amount of options for me because before it was like, all right, well, this amp has 8-ohm only output, so I can only use that with this cab, this cab, this cab, this cab. These other five cabs I can't use because this one's 4-ohm, this one's 4-ohm, you know what I mean? Now, of course, you can run an 8-ohm into a 16-ohm cabinet, um, but, you know, if you can match them, it's better. Anyway, so I now can use any amp that I own with any cabinet that I own, and I don't have to worry about level. I can slam it if I can, and I don't have to slam it if I don't have to. <laughs> um, I can boost up the level of quiet amps to be really loud, or I can turn down the level of loud amps to be quieter, and it still sounds great. Um, you wouldn't know it. Like, you wouldn't even know it. It sounds that good, I promise. But another feature of this that you haven't really heard a lot of people talking about, but for me, I'm really excited about this, is I now have no fear of using any microphone I own on any guitar sound. Right? Like, we typically use dynamic mics and ribbon mics on guitars. Sometimes we'll use condensers on guitar amps or bass amps or whatever. But sometimes we're like, I don't really want to use a condenser. I'm a little bit afraid. Especially if you're doing, like, high-gain stuff with a 412 and a 100-watt amp. Like, imagine the, the fear because you've all heard those stories of like Jimi Hendrix or, you know, anybody from the classic rock era blowing up microphones, right? Now, obviously microphones today are more durable, but like if I'm sitting there and I've got a $3,000 mic, I'm like, I'm not putting that on my cabinet. You know what I mean? Like I'm going to use an SM57. I'm not doing that. But now I have no fear of using any microphone I own on any cabinet that I own because if I feel like it's a little too loud, I can just turn it down. Like, the options have exploded for me of the types of guitar tones that I can get. I mean, an uncountable multiplying of tones that I now can do. I can use any microphone in my arsenal. I can run any head to any cabinet at any volume, and it sounds great at any of them. I mean, I'm giddy. Like, I, I'm so tickled by that whole thing. Like, I, I can't keep thinking about the product and how brilliant it is and how I want to get a second one in case this ever fails. <laughs> um, so this is the Fryette Power Station 2. Um, I'm blown away by this unit, and it's becoming my new favorite guitar toy. Um, the, he makes another version, the uh, Power Load, which is a little bit different. It's kind of a little bit different purpose. And the original Power Station 1, you can usually find used. But man, for six or $700, for, what, for all the things that this thing can do, it, it's, so much, it's worth so much more than that. It, it's worth so much more than that to me. This has expanded my ability to record guitars in any kind of weird way that I want to. I could use a super, super nice mic that's like super detailed and super sensitive and put it an inch from the speaker on a 120 watt amp 
and it's just barely coming out of the speaker. And that's a totally different sound than slamming the speaker and putting an SM57 on it. You know what I mean? Or I could use a vintage microphone and not be afraid of ruining it or blowing it. Um, there's a guy in town that uh, has a really valuable vintage ribbon mic that I love that I would now not be afraid to use on a guitar cabinet if he let me borrow it because I can turn it down. Um, and like I said, it's just a totally different experience. Pummeling a cabinet versus not. Both are cool. Both have their merits. Sometimes pummeling the cabinet with level is the sound. Getting those speakers really moving, that's the sound. But other times, the headroom is the sound. You know what I mean? Like the Stevie Ray Vaughan thing is a really, really high headroom cabinet. Uh, he would use 412s with EV speakers, which are 200 watts a piece. He'd use 412 cabinets with those, and then he'd be running a you know 100 watt amp into an 800 watt cabinet. You know what I mean? It's like this crazy headroom. Um, but anyway, my point is the Fryat Power Station 2. One of the absolute coolest devices I've ever purchased for my studio and just has me giddy about all the options that have opened up to me. If anybody out there is working for Fryette or knows Steve Fryette or, you know, is down the street from Fryette, please go in and buy them a coffee and a whiskey and give them a big hug for me because... This is one of the coolest devices I've ever owned, and I, I just can't say enough good things about it. Um, I want to make this device more popular. Like, out of all the guitar players I know, all the bass players I know, all the podcast listeners I've talked to, I know one person that has this other than me. One person. I want to change that. I want more people to have this device. So, Fryat, if you're out there and you want to sponsor the podcast... I will advertise for you any and all day <laughs> because I don't have any other advertisements, but holy cow, has this thing changed the game. And like, this is truly a game changer for me. Um, I, I'm just so excited about it. Okay. I just got it like a month and a half ago and I am still over the moon about it. And I've been using it on sessions and clients love how it sounds. I love how it sounds. I've already tried like a ton of different tests with it and tried to make it sound bad. I've tried, you know, I've compared it to, uh, you know, not in the chain and in the chain and, you know, getting it to sound basically the same bypassed and unbypassed. And it's like, it sounds incredible. It sounds amazing. And it can do more. You know what I mean? It can take my amps to places they've never been. It can open up my mic locker to a place it's never had, you know, the ability to go to. My speaker cabinets can now all be used. My amps can be used with any of them. Uh, it's, it's just amazing. I mean, this is the pure definition of a tool that makes things more fun, more interesting, more versatile. You get more use out of it. I mean, it's like an expansion to my studio in one little box. So the Fryat Power Station 2. This is my glowing review of how much I love it. It sounds so good. You need to get one. If you're a recording guitar pl player, especially if you've got multiple amps, multiple cabinets, and especially if you're needing to get relatively quiet volumes but sound really good. Um, in, in the past, people have asked me that question before. They've asked me about attenuators, and I've told them, like, there aren't really many good attenuators out there. Um, but over the last couple years, I've been seeing more about them. You know, I've been seeing, like, the Sur Reactive Load. I've been seeing the Aux and things like that. And I was like, you know, maybe I should try a few. I tried a few. I was like, all right, yeah, that sounds pretty good. The Sur sounds good. But then someone was like, you need to get a power station. 
And I was like, what's that? He's like, man, I don't have one, but those things are amazing. So I started looking it up, started watching reviews, reading about it. And I was like, 700 bucks? It's like, it's cheaper than the Ox. Looks cool. Steve Fryett's a genius, total genius. I mean, geez, this looks great. I bought one kind of on a whim after, even after watching the reviews, it still felt like on a whim. Cause like not many people have them. I couldn't really talk to a lot of people about them other than like people on YouTube and on forums. Um, but I, I, no one in town had one that I could try out. Um, and it was like, all right, sure. And ever since I've just been ecstatic. I, I can't say enough good things about it. This is a really, really long segment about the Fry at Power Station 2. Um, and it's still worth it. Still so totally worth it. No regrets. I would do this again. <laughs> uh, but that is my number two. You would think it'd be my number one, but it's actually my number two favorite guitar device in the studio. Okay, so what is my number one guitar and bass tool? This is kind of the centerpiece of my whole rig, and it kind of has to be number one on this rig. Now, yes, I love my Fryat Power Station, but it's not the centerpiece of my rig. The centerpiece of my entire guitar recording rig is the Creation Audio Labs MW1. This is a really, really cool device. Similar to the Fryat, it's kind of like this Swiss Army knife device that solves a lot of problems and does a lot of things all in one small package. So the Creation Audio MW1 is basically like a hub for your guitar signal. You've got multiple outputs. So you've got a tuner output. You've got a boosted output that has a, a you know variable boost from like zero to 30 dB. It's a very clean and very hot boost. Um, you've got variable impedance input and output impedance. It also has a buffered output that you can use. Um, you have a transformerless DI that is super clean and sounds great on guitar and bass. Um, and you've got a line in that you can do reamping with. I mean, this one device that is a one U rack unit can do all of that and so much more really, because by the combination of things, you can use this to run your guitar into pro audio gear before you hit the amp. You can do the opposite and run, you know, your pedals into it. You can run, uh, you know, your vocals through pedals with it. I mean, it's now, yes, I have the line level pedal board set up differently and I don't always use the MW1 for everything it has, but it can do that. You know what I mean? I, I use it for different things, you know, and I have it set up, but it's such an amazing box. I mean, it's so, so good and it solves so many problems. There's like six ground lifts on it. <laughs> I mean, it, you can solve so many noise problems with it by flipping all the ground lifts and finding the spot where it's quietest. Um, the variable input impedance is amazing. You can warm up or brighten up any guitar that's plugged into it. Not going to be quite as dramatic with the uh, active pickups, but with passive pickups, you can really make it come alive, make it brighter, or you can warm it up a little bit. The boost sounds great. Uh, it's got a mute switch on the front. Um, all of the panels in the back are backlit, so when it's in a dark rack, you can read it. I mean, it's just, it's just such a good tool. You know what I mean? It's like when you see a tool like the MW1 or when you see a tool like the Fryette, you just think like... This is made by a guitar player. They get it. You know what I mean? Like they get what I need and why I need it. And they don't think it's crazy. They don't think it's ridiculous. They don't think you're packing too many features or you're packing the wrong features. They think this is exactly what people need and we're going to do it. 
So I, I could go on and on about this box. I, I wish I could go on and on about it like I did the Fryette, but truth be told, it's just the hub. It's the centerpiece of my whole rig. From this rig, it goes into my... I've got the DI on a patch bay. I also have the reamper on the patch bay, which I will sometimes use to reamp, but I also have another reamper on the patch bay. We'll talk about that later. Um, and I use the tuner output on it to go to my tuner. Like I said, I have a dual input sort of tuner situation. So I run one from the MW1 directly, which is basically just a DI. And I also have one from a headphone mix. And then I use the boost output as my main signal, but I also have a buffered output if I want to do that. The buffered output has no boost on it, uh, but still sounds great. And then out of the MW1, I go into the radial SGI. I mean, it, it's, it is the centerpiece of my whole guitar rig. It kind of connects everything to everything and you can use it for basically anything you need. Like if I had to recommend, you know, the top three devices, it would absolutely probably be, all right, you need an MW1, you need a Fryett power station and you need a radial SGI. You know, obviously you need a good speaker cabinet, good guitar, good amp, blah, 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 blah. But in terms of like recording gear, you know what I mean? That's what you need. Like those three things can pretty much accomplish anything you need. And they're amazing. The build quality on all three of those are amazing. I love the build quality on the MW1. They're always very responsive. I had uh, the DI on mine actually went out. Um, I think it had gotten uh, bumped up in level and it had been... Uh, unknowingly, it had been running at like max level uh, for a whole session for like an eight hour session. So guitars was slamming into it for like eight hours. And basically they were like, hey, you don't have to send it in. We'll send you a, we'll send you the IC. It's probably just the IC. If you feel comfortable opening it up, you can just pop in the IC yourself and it'll take you two seconds. And I feel comfortable with electronics. I'm pretty decent with electronics. I've done, you know, tons of work on small, uh, you know, pedals and also simple uh, electronic circuits and amps. And I've worked on, uh, you know, some basic pro audio gear stuff. So I felt fine. And uh, they sent me, they sent me the op amp for free. And uh, I opened it up and it was like, oh, there it is. I just have to swap it out. I swapped it out. It worked. Every time I've emailed Creation about an issue, they've responded within the day. And they're always very friendly. They're always very willing to help and help you figure out any issue that you've had. You know, like, oh, hey, you just have to do this. You know, um, I'll send you a video of me explaining it. And it'll, it's, it's amazing. Really great customer service. Um, really great company. Quality, quality products. Um, the MW1 is, is I've been using it probably for, oh man, six or seven years now. And it really has solved a lot of problems for me. And it's kind of like the, you're sitting there thinking about your guitar rig and you're thinking like, so like, what's the, what's the middle point? You know what I mean? Like, do I just stand right next to my amp and play there? Or like, how do I get my rig from here to there? Like, you know what I mean? There's so many potentials and so many issues with, where do you plug stuff in and how do you uh, connect it all together? And the MW1 can handle most of it for you. Um, and then what it can't, the Fryette can pretty much handle the rest. Um, anyway, can't say enough good things about the MW1. It too is also around the same price as the Fryette. It's about $700, um, but such a problem solver, such a game changer for me when I got it. Um, really awesome device. Go check out their website and watch the videos on it, and it'll explain explain it a little bit more about all the different things you can do.
Okay, so I've got a couple of honorable mentions, and these are things that I like, I use, I own, but not quite as game-changery as the top 10, you know what I mean? Um, so the first one is the Wampler Ego Compressor. I think a lot of people ignore compressor pedals as being really viable sources for compression on guitar and bass. And I don't know why, because it's such a different sound running into a compressor first and then going into the amp than vice versa. Because like the amp is almost like its own form of a compressor, you know, like the tubes are going to saturate, it's going to clip, the speaker is an imperfect device that, you know, is going to pump and squish and clip and all that. And so... Like, when you run it before the amp, it controls the clean sound of the guitar and controls how consistently something distorts. Whereas, if you're putting a compressor after the amp, even if you're setting the amp clean, it's picking up a totally different sound. It's picking up a full range, like, amplified sound with a lot of low end. And, you know, and if you've ever heard a guitar DI... It doesn't have that much low end, you know what I mean? Like, straight out of a guitar isn't the thickest sound you've ever heard, you know? The amp does create a lot of thickness and fullness for a guitar. Um, but compressor pedals are awesome, and I use compressor pedals a lot um, because they're cool, they're cheap, they're simple. You can run them in, they can work as a boost because 99% of them has, have an output knob. You can run them as a clean boost. You can compress your sound just a little bit. You can get a little bit more sustain or a little bit more attack out of your signal. It's a really versatile tool that I think everybody should have at least a couple of compressor pedals around that's recording guitar and bass a lot. And if I had to pick one, the most like non-damaging, um, clean, versatile, low noise, all around great compressor pedal is the Wampler Ego. I own three of these. I have one here at the studio, I have one on my pedal board, and I keep a backup in a box in case something happens to either. <laughs> because I love that pedal this much, and I use it a lot on recording guitars, especially clean guitars. Um, really fantastic compressor pedal. I, I think any guitar player should own one. Okay, here's another pedal that is really cool. It's fairly new to me. I got it uh, just this year. I don't remember exactly when. Maybe in the last two months? Three? I don't remember. Um, but this is the JHS Clover preamp. Now, me and JHS have sort of a hit-and-miss relationship. Some of their pedals I adore, and others I can't stand. And I don't really get that. <laughs> um, uh, you know, JHS pedals have been around. Uh, Josh Scott, I love his blog. His, what he's done with mods. I pretty much love all the mods they've ever done. But, like, their actual, you know, JHS pedals, I, it's just kind of been hit or miss for me. But this one is absolutely a hit. Um, this is based on an old Boss preamp that I think used to be, like, a belt clip pack or something. Um, and it was this kind of green color. I don't remember the models. FA1 or something like that preamp. And, you know, the Edge used it famously. And basically it was just, like, a simple, clean FET preamp. Um, but this pedal sounds so good. It's got a great three-band EQ on it. And just as a boost, it's really killer. Um, it has a low-cut filter on it as well, which will tighten up the low end just enough. It's so tastefully done. Um, a lot of times the low-cut on, on guitar stuff is so aggressive, and this one's so very tasteful. It's just enough to tighten up the low end. It's got a three-band EQ. The EQ choices are really, really good. And it's got a DI on it. You've got your output. I mean, 
this is such a cool little pedal for not that much money and it sounds really good driving an amplifier like if you need to beef up a low output guitar into a Marshall or something to really drive it this thing has a ton of gain on tap and it's kind of becoming one of my favorite boosts like I don't use a ton of pedals in the studio I have a ton of pedals but you know we'll pick one maybe two that we need or maybe none and this is kind of like a do no harm like it's gonna sound awesome when you plug it in and when you turn it on it's gonna rip and sound great pushing that amp um i love boost pedals for that reason that you know i can get the character of the amp but just push more into it um so yeah the clover preamp check it out it's this kind of ugly green color but man it sounds good the last two items on the honorable mention list are both radio products, and they're both very similar, but they're both affordable, and they're both really cool, and they're simple solutions to what they do. The first is the radial shotgun. This is a 9-volt-powered little small box, almost like DI-sized, that allows you to split one input to four separate amps. But you could also split a stereo input to two pairs of amps, okay? So this is a cool device that I will use to split to multiple guitar amps if I need to. It's small, it's affordable, doesn't take up a bunch of space, it's not some fancy rack splitter like Radial makes tons of other splitters that you can use that are very expensive that you can split up to eight guitar amps. I don't need that much, okay? Sometimes I'll run into two guitar amps at once. Almost never will I run into three guitar amps at once, but you know, I could if I wanted to, but I can run from the SGI into this unit and split to maybe a clean amp and a slightly more overdriven amp, or maybe I could split to a Marshall and then like a really cranked up small amp. Um, it's just a simple way to split between multiple amps. You've got buffers, so you don't have any noise issues, and you've got isolation, so you don't have any buzzing or anything like that, and if you need to flip the phase, you can. It's really hard to beat, you know, radio's really great at making simple devices that work. The other device that, uh, that I use is the radio cab link. And this is a super, super simple device um, that allows you to connect a single input from an amp, like let's say an 8 ohm input, and then gives you options of jacks to plug in the output. Now, of course, you could do this with really specially wired splitter cables, but this is a safer way to do it. It's simple, it's easy, and it's all laid out on there for you. So if you're not really familiar with impedances and how that all works, it's really simple. You'll get the hang of it, um, but it's all written on there. So for example, if you have an 8 ohm amp and you're running out of the amp into this thing, you can then run from this little box to two 4 ohm cabinets in series or two 16 ohm cabinets in parallel. And so now you can run one head into two separate cabinets. So again, it expands your options. One of the things that you probably have noticed from a lot of these items on my top 10 guitar and bass tools is things that expand your options and allow you to do more, have more fun, experiment, get more, more tones, um, and, and do things more efficiently, but at the same time, you know, combine a bunch of functions. You know what I mean? Like it's, I love devices that do this because it's almost like, you know, so up just a series of problem solvers. You know what I mean? Um, I, I just love tools that solve problems because as I've talked about on the podcast as well, my most valuable asset to me in the whole world is my time. 
I can't get back time. I can always get back money. I could get a different job. I can make money. I can, you know what I mean? But I can't get back time with my wife, time with my friends or family. I can't get back six hours on a mix that I screwed up. I can't get back, you know what I mean? And so I'm really, my time is precious to me. It, it really is. I, I philosophically, like personally on a philosophical level, like my time is very, very important to me. So when I have tools that save me time and make my job more efficient and make it quick and fun and where I don't have to stress about problems or think about, okay, I'm getting noise here. How could I fix that? Do I need to get a device that does that? Or, you know, okay, I can't use this with this. They're not compatible. You know, when I have devices that solve those problems and that are easy and intuitive to use and well-made and they work, you know what I mean? Like that is so valuable to me. So I am really excited to share these devices with you. And I can't wait to share the other devices that I have coming in the uh, top 10 studio tools show because they're the same type thing. You know, they're devices that save me time. They remove stress from my life. They solve problems and they create solutions and they make my job better. <laughs> they make my life better, you know? Um, so I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. I know it's really guitar and bass heavy, but hopefully any of you out there that maybe aren't guitar players still picked up something along the way. And if you are guitar players, I'm sure you're probably drooling at all the gear and, you know, geeking out just as much as I am because I love guitar gear. It's so much fun to talk about. Anyway, as always, you can check us out at recordingloungepodcast.com. You can sign up to be a Patreon or PayPal subscriber, supporter, donator, uh, and help us out with the cost of bandwidth and the cost of storage for all the episodes and the cost of the websites and the domains and all of that jazz. You can check that out on our website as well under the support RL tab. You can check out our resources section for a bunch of resources on different things. You can contact me on the website. Send me an email at recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com if you have questions, comments, or show suggestions. I really appreciate all the kind emails and, and messages I've gotten and comments. People excited to hear me back doing the podcast. It makes me really happy. You know, I, when I was gone not doing podcasts for a while, I kept thinking about it. I was like, man, would anybody even care if I stopped? You know, is anybody even out there listening? And I've gotten so many emails and things like that from people saying, I'm so glad it's back. Thanks for keep making more episodes, please. And that's really encouraging. I'm glad that you guys are glad to hear me back on the airwaves making episodes. So we've got more episodes coming soon. So you stay tuned and I will talk to you next time.